We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, December 12, 2022. We are a week away from Hanukkah starting and within two weeks for Christmas, and I haven't started shopping yet, so I need to get going. I guess you could call me the Chicago White Sox as I'm dragging my feet. Get it? (laughs) Not a lot of shopping going on. The White Sox did sign Victor Reyes to a minor league contract, so that's something. But in this episode, we are going to zoom out and talk about the state of Major League Baseball, especially with how spending has gone in this free agency class. The New York Mets are not stopping with their spending. And according to Roster Resource, the Mets payroll is now at a $335 million. But wait, they have now exceeded every level of the luxury tax. So if you include the penalties, they are already over $400 million for the 2023 season. Must be nice to have a hedge fund manager as an owner. The White Sox estimated payroll For 2023, according to roster resource, is $179 million, which is about $17 million below where their spend was last year. Currently, the White Sox have the 10th highest payroll in baseball, but with how much the top spenders are spending and grabbing the premium players from free agency, is the middle class of Major League Baseball dying? We'll discuss that later in the show while also identifying areas which White Sox fans can search for hope. First, we have news at Sox Machine, and helping me share that news is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis, and hello, Jim. We have something new being released on Sox Machine today. Yeah, something new, also something old in a way, uh, or at least allows us to bring back something old. But yes, we have a new storefront for the Sox Machine store. We're partnering with a company called Fourth Wall to run our site store. And basically what that allows us to do is have Sox Machine gear that is not contingent on us ordering the correct amount of inventory. When, uh, you know, with our old store, we were in charge of getting the 
order numbers, right? And trying to guess people's sizes, what the size uh, distribution might be. And because we are a small business and we have uh, limited storage space, we would order on the conservative side. And so we'd place an order. And then like after we sold out, so we'd get a couple of people saying, oh, do you have the hoodies or are you going to get them back in stock? Are you going to get mugs back in stock? And I would have to say like, yeah, if you got 24 friends to sign up with you because there's a minimum order and that's the tough part of the whole signing thing. So it's really, uh, you know, th that's really the biggest headache of the store. And so now with the, this new storefront, we will be able to have things like hoodies and T-shirts and beanies and all the other stuff that uh, we used to re you know, require a minimum to get. And we can sell it you know, year round or season round and bring it back uh, you know, year after year. We can also sell our own stuff through the storefront. So stuff like scarves, which is not available, that we had a special order, some of the caps that we've had. The, the pennants that we had, uh, we, we might need a, a second order of them if the White Sox tear it all down again. But, uh, you know, stuff like that we can still sell through a different kind of uh, product entry system. I'll, I'll spare you all the details. Basically, like, no matter what, whether we come up with a product that we sell ourselves, whether we just want the basics, the staples of a classic merch collection, we'll be able to uh, provide both without having to worry about... Did I get your size right? Did, it, uh, uh, did you happen to be on vacation the week it was on sale? All that kind of stuff that we were afraid of and, and had to account for when trying to order is no longer a problem. Hopefully no longer your problem either. So we're going to be launching the store at noon on Monday. And uh, you know, if you're on Patreon, you'll be getting uh, advance notice. Check your email to uh, see what it's all about. And uh, the address is shop.socksmachine.com. We'll have links to it from the site uh, and hope to uh, have you check it out. And, and the other good thing, too, is if you have merchandise ideas like, hey, we'd like a T-shirt. Do you have this in a, a raglan form? You know, stuff like that. You know, uh, clothing items you like that normally we cannot do one offs or a few offs of. We can say, yeah, we'll give it a shot and add it to the store and see how it does. So. If you have any merch ideas going forward or, or things that we have in the store that you'd like to see in a slightly different form, please let us know and, and we'll see uh, what we can do because this is a new storefront for us, new experience, and uh, it'll be good experience for us just to see how we can modify things and uh, offer you know, variations of products we already have. And our significant others are very happy that we are not keeping that much inventory yes. anymore <laughs> <laughs> in our houses. Uh, I just got my box for being a White Sox season ticket holder with all the bobbleheads and everything. And as soon as I opened the box, I had instant regret, Jim, because it was one of those, I have no idea where I'm going to put this crap. Oh, that was the packing peanuts or like no the miniature idea. stuff that the uh, fuzz gets all over the place and clings to it statically uh, to where like no matter what it gets stuck to, you can't get it off and it'll get stuck to something else. Yeah, that and, you know, I just have all these bobbleheads now, like... Oh, this Yasmani Grandal bobblehead. I don't even know if he's going to be around much longer. <laughs> Lance Lynn. Hey, this Liam Hendricks bobblehead. And, and, you know, the idea crossed my mind. Well, maybe I could try to sell these on eBay. Uh, but I have so much clutter. So thanks to the new storefront <laughs> and thanks to our partner, uh, helps us reduce the amount of clutter that we have. So very excited and I hope you guys enjoy it as well. And again, everything that you buy on shop.socksmachine.com. Uh, greatly supports us at Socks Machine. So holidays are coming up, as I mentioned in the intro. So if you're looking to buy something for your favorite White Sox fan and you don't want to buy actual White Sox gear, go to shop.socksmachine.com. I thought you were going to say with uh, putting the bobbleheads on eBay that uh, if you did so, my socks summer would break your legs. Uh, he might. He, he tried to 
he wants to build like this bobblehead cartel. Yeah. Try to undermine the market <laughs> and control it. Uh, he, I would get a phone call, definitely, or at least a text message. Be like, what are you doing? You should talk to me first. So maybe I will, but I have way too many bobbleheads. So if you guys are interested in bobbleheads, reach out. I, I've got a lot of bobbleheads at the house that I'd like to free up closet space for other things that are useful. But let's talk about Major League Baseball spending here, Jim. And the fear from those within the ownership ranks of Major League Baseball about Steve Cohen buying the New York Mets. And this was at the time that A-Rod and Jennifer Lopez were trying to also buy the Mets. I, I laugh because obviously that relationship deteriorated. And it's just, I, I'm just, I'm wondering how that was actually working out uh, as far as trying to buy the Mets. They probably weren't any close to, to buying the Mets. But Steve Cohen buys the Mets. And there were several owners, including Jerry Reinsdorf, that were concerned that he was just going to blow the roof off when it comes to player spending. They are right. They have been proven right by Steve Cohen. The roof has been blown off in Queens with player spending. What do you make of the New York Mets 300 million plus payroll? It's fascinating to start. You have to be envious at a certain level. You can like, you know, maybe wring your hands and say like, oh, this is bad for the game. This is, you know, really um, scary territory they're heading into. But also just I wish it were my team. So I think when it comes <laughs> to that, like uh, it feels a little bit hypocritical to launch immediately into the uh, fear mongering. Um, I think the question is, you know, or I guess questions I have when it comes to just trying to figure out like how sticky this will be is one Will it be a case where it's like a, a temporary insanity because of all the different things that, uh, you know, the, the confluence of factors that were specific to this winter? You had brand new labor piece. You don't have like a CBA looming around the corner. So there's that. You have the uh, late arrival of Disney money, you know, $900 million across Major League Baseball. You have uh, you know, the, the national TV deals going up in price. Everything's good when it comes to spending money. And so some owners are doing it, not just Steve Cohen, but you also have John Middleton with Philadelphia and Peter Seidler with San Diego, not afraid to breach $300 million uh, with their offers, uh, especially if you believe the ones that were for Aaron Judge. I think San Francisco is another one like on the periphery of you know offering that kind of money for a free agent. Uh, so it's a case where like, you know, Cohen's not alone uh, and there are some owners who are you know, following him. But I just wonder, like, when it comes to the other owners, when it comes to Middleton, Seidler, uh, you know, the, the Dodgers are curiously quiet, but I think that's because Trevor Bauer, they don't know how much money they owe him. You know, it could be uh, nothing, could be $60 million, could be $100 million when it comes to uh, Bauer's salary plus luxury tax penalties. So, uh, you know, they've been sitting on the sidelines, but normally they might not be. So it could be a case where it's just Cohen out there uh, and, and maybe the Dodgers occasionally join him, but the Yankees are still, I think Aaron Judge is the rare exception for the way the Yankees have conducted business as of late to where like he's a homegrown guy, a uh, record holder, like true Yankee to whatever extent you believe in a true Yankee. And so like made sense for them to re retain judge, but you know, when it comes to the other, you know, big ticket free agent additions they could do, they've, they've been largely quiet. So I think I want to know how many owners are going to continue to follow Cohen past this winter, you know, past uh, this brand new, uh, best possible situation for spending. Because if like 
the Mets are like 105 win good, which is great, but also like not say that's diminishing returns of a payroll is if you're spending like 300 plus million, 400 plus million with the penalties and you win like 105 games and are still like as vulnerable as anybody when it comes to the postseason. Uh, will there be teams that say like, ah, I don't have to go that far. If I'm projecting for 95 plus wins with an expanded postseason, I'm more or less fine. Like I can see Cohen being the only one, like just the exception being an outlier breaking graphs and everybody else is still within a, a fairly narrow band uh, when it comes to like just how I guess relatively narrow band because it could be a lot wider, especially with other teams joining them. But I still think there's going to be like a a normalcy uh, that uh, other owners won't pursue unless the Mets just happen to have like you know, 115 win type success and steamroll through the postseason, especially if they like add during the deadline period to where like all of a sudden it just changes the way business is done. Yeah, this kind of reminds of the Yankees dynasty, right? In the late 90s, early 2000s, where they just outspend everyone. And all the premium free agents went to the Yankees, and they had a super team. And we haven't seen back-to-back World Series champions since that dynasty of the New York Yankees. And speaking of the Yankees, they're the only team that I think would even dare come close to $300 million this season, Jim. Right now, they're... Player payroll projection is at 250 million. Their luxury tax is at 266 million. If they were to sign Carlos Rodon and they gave him $30 million a season, they're right there at 300 million. I don't think anyone's going by Steve Cohen and the New York Mets. The Mets will have the largest payroll. But if the you're asking, you know, who's going to follow Cohen, I think the only other team that's going to get to 300 million this year is the Yankees. So both New York teams are going to be reaching heights we've never seen before in mm-hmm. Major League Baseball. But right now, there are eight teams. When you look at the luxury tax payroll, which this is the concern for Major League Baseball teams and owners when it comes to taxes, they already have a luxury tax payroll of more than $200 million going into next season. And obviously, the Mets have exceeded every luxury tax penalty if the Yankees sign Carlos Rodon, they will also exceed every luxury tax penalty. The Padres are at $255 million. They've exceeded a couple levels. The Phillies have gone past the luxury tax penalty. They're at $242 million. The Braves are at $230 million. So those are the teams right now that have gone already gone past the luxury tax, and there's still a couple months left to go in the offseason. The Angels are at 213 million. The Rangers are at 204 million. The Blue Jays are at 205 million. The Astros are at 198 million. And then you have the White Sox at 191 million, two million ahead of the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, which melts my brain because I don't know how you could spend that poorly and not have a roster anywhere near the quality of the Los Angeles Dodgers do, <laughs> but that's a whole different topic. So you have eight teams already. More than $200 million, and I've already listed the teams that are already past the luxury tax, which is five, and it'll probably be more than five teams before opening day. You have nine teams right now with a 26-man player payroll of below $100 million. So here we go again, Jim. The two ends of the spectrum. Things could change before spring training, but the current trend is that those teams exceeding the luxury tax are just going to go deeper into the penalties because it's worth the risk to them based on the players they are signing. They, they don't have any regret right now. 
You know, there's people who try to make fun of the Phillies, right? Oh my gosh, you're going to be paying Trey Turner and Bryce Harper till they're age 38. Well, they got Trey Turner and you don't. People making fun of the Padres. I can't believe they gave Xander Bogarts 11 years. They got Xander Bogarts. You don't. You know, they they have four shortstops on their roster right now that they can move all over the diamond. And mm-hmm. if Manny Machado opts out, which he can next year and enter free agency, they have a backup plan. They have a fantastic backup plan in Xander Bogarts. Like, this is what it looks like when teams build elite depth. You're, they're not praying that Jake Berger can step in and fill in for Yohan Mikata. Like, they're not having those types of conversations. And that's where just the two ends of the spectrum are just being stretched in opposite directions here. It was supposed, these luxury tax penalties, Jim, were supposed to deter teams from spending this much mm-hmm. and give smaller markets a fighting chance in free agency. But I think that notion is very much dead now, Jim. Yeah, it, it's quite possible. I think it's going to be contingent on how these go like in a way like you know whether teams get scared away because there was a a surge in contracts and then like you had I, i'm remembering like the the rockies when they got their pit, uh pitchers when the rangers signed a rod and couldn't do anything with a rod even though that contract itself wasn't that bad um there are always new heights and then sometimes things go poorly and then teams aside from like the elite spenders get scared away from doing that again or you know take a while to unfurl uh the roster to get around it and like you know the Dombrowski teams kind of like working out their way from you know when that reaches its end point so that's why I think like you know if these teams like the Padres and the Phillies and the Mets like have you know stupendous success while spending then that's a problem I think if they have a situation where like the say the Padres you know, Bogarts is disappointing and Tatis keeps getting hurt in my child. Like they might look at the roster and say like, Ooh, you know, maybe Peter Seidler won't because right now he seems pretty impervious to any kind of criticism that he's spending too much. And, and, uh, the, uh, I'm, I'm sure the, the union blesses him for it because that's, uh, we wish our chairman, <laughs> I think in, in the sports we follow in Chicago, uh, would, would, uh, look at it that way with, you know, blowing past luxury taxes, whether it's the White Sox or Bulls, but I could see a situation where it just, you know, gets a little messy, gets a little hairy. And so there, there is a little bit of a, a retreat from the insane spending. And they realize like, oh, this is why we had some safeguards in the first place, just for be protected from getting carried away. I do think that it's a little bit of a backlash. Yeah. You know, I heard you on Steve Rosenblum's show on Saturday and it was kind of funny like mm-hmm. i think you had 10 minutes and he asked you two questions i think the whole time like you just yeah you you were you were loaded for uh, what he had to say but the one thing i'm curious about when it comes to just the, the spending is if you do have this wide divide and the middle class is gone and you have uh like say 10 teams spending aggressively five teams like you know maybe cardinals class astros class that are just don't have to spend that much and will resist doing so um but will uh you know kind of hang around the periphery i think the red sox are kind of interesting john henry seems like he doesn't have the appetite to spend like the red sox used to spend and Hyam bloom like i don't yeah i'm not quite sure what he's doing or if he's the wrong guy for that market but he's really made some questionable decisions in terms of just how poorly they've retained players and how like i guess xander bogart's got a one-year extension uh offer after they signed trevor story like just complete insulting low-balling offers you know that you know i think you know say what you will about the white Sox and jose abreu but i don't think the white Sox made abreu an offer as much as they said uh let us know if the market isn't to your liking 
and we can talk and maybe try to figure something out. Like it was kind of a show of respect. Like, you know, we're not closing a door, but we think you're going to do better. I think it's you know, just, it's an amicable split. And so when Abreu said that uh, the offer was respectful or there wasn't an offer or whatnot, I think that's probably it is more of an open-ended uh, concept. But if you have this like split where it's like 10 teams up top, five teams kind of hovering, and then like 15 teams that aren't going to ever compete with those teams. I wonder if it's going to be a situation like the, the 90s where... Uh, when the next CBA uh, negotiations roll around, if it's going to be a case where the union is going to be a lot more unified than the ownership ranks, because that was that's what happened in the 90s with the, the salary cap and such. And just like some teams just didn't care about salary cap and other teams really wanted it. Uh, you had contraction being talked about later in that decade uh, with smaller market teams. So uh, they were really crying poor. Players were able to win major concessions by holding it out. And I think you could kind of see a similar thing here. Uh, you know, the, the league won a lot of concessions from the players because they were divided when it came to the international draft, uh, when it came to uh, forfeiting uh, rights of players. Uh, players who were you know not yet in the union with the draft pools and such and you had the steroid testing as well which really fractured the union you could see it kind of boomerang or or, or or go the other way in the sense that all of a sudden the union really doesn't have any kind of wedge issues that divide them maybe the international draft is like the last thing but now you have this major spending chasm that uh, really forces the uh, owners to try to find common ground amongst themselves and that's the case where the union could just kind of sit by and watch uh watch them crack and look for kind of fishers to exploit and 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 maybe win some uh some ground back that's a really good point jim maybe we are going back to the 90s in which the league itself operated and it makes a lot of sense to me where you're going to have infighting within the owners because there's a lot of things that are not going right mm -hmm. the regional sports networks the chicago white Sox deal with nbc uh, nbc sports chicago expires in two years you have the whole problem with Bally Sports right now and Sinclair. They want to sell the regional sports networks. There are no buyers. So Major League Baseball could have a crisis on their hands when it comes to regional broadcasts in two years. So that's going to be something that the owners have to work together with and talk about revenue sharing. But then you have a lot of finger pointing going back and forth, especially at Oakland. Where's your new stadium or why haven't you left Oakland yet? Uh, Tampa Bay, where's your new stadium? And then those owners pointed the finger, well, we can't, we can't have competitive teams because you guys keep signing everyone. You, you outbid us. Uh, and we think we're putting out very fair bids and we just don't have a chance. And, you know, one of those teams that I mentioned that's below $100 million payroll, and it surprised me right now, mm -hmm. is the Minnesota Twins. They sit with a 26-man player payroll at $98 million, and they are big game hunting. They're going after Carlos Correa, and they're going after Carlos Rodon. But I think they're going to miss out on both. And they are trying to have what Twins Twitter is calling a quote-unquote freaking offseason, end quote, but if they don't land Correa and they don't land Rodon, they're going to be left grasping for scraps again because a lot of the premium free agents have already signed in the middle of December. And it's not going to help their team all that much in trying to be a contender. So the heavy spending is great for players. Make that cash. If teams want to build super rosters, go for it. I encourage it. Just don't be surprised if this league becomes very top-heavy, and it it will make me think Major League Baseball becomes the NBA gym. Sure, 
your favorite team could make the postseason. And baseball postseasons at times can be random. But you got the Mets, Braves, and Phillies. They're the top six payrolls in baseball, and they're in the same division. The Dodgers and Padres spend. The Cardinals spend. Their payroll is above $160 million. I don't know what hope the other teams in the National League have. Random variance? Injury luck? I guess the good thing for the White Sox is that they're in the American League Central, and they don't have those fears at the moment. Yeah, I thought you were going to say when you're talking about like uh, teams that you thought were surprisingly be below 100 million, like the Orioles are the team that jumped to mind to me in terms of like they should be spending this winter and they haven't, and they've been very cautious. And I think that's because there's some ownership strife strife among them, uh, and you know they could potentially be looking for sellers at some point. The Angels are looking for a buyer. The Nationals are looking for a buyer, and that's I think going to be one. Uh, fascinating fallout i think from steve cohen spending is does that restrict who can possibly buy a team does that lower the amount that uh these franchises who are selling can command because they're not they're, they're excluding like the super yeah i'm not even sure what word the ultra mega super rich or whatever you want to call it like mm-hmm. separating like the billionaires from billionaires but just the ones who who really don't care or the, the ones who uh that you know for 300 million dollar contracts or 20 million dollar aav contracts are, are are basically just uh negligible spending to them like if they want to avoid that then i think that could maybe uh kneecap some of the the bids they're trying to get and that could cause some uh issues among owners who might be looking to sell in the near future and be like well if i can't sell the to the qualified bidders who are offering the most, then, you know, my, me and my partners can't cash out the way we thought we were going to. So yeah, there are a lot of uh, issues I think that have to be dealt with at the very highest levels at like the Lords of the realm, uh, you know, levels. Uh, and then that could, you know, inspire a new chapter or a, a, a new offshoot of that book to uh, update it for a, a new century. Yeah. If you want to be taken seriously as a contender, you're going to need to spend more than $170 million in payroll. Unless you're in the American League Central, I, I just don't know how the middle class of Major League Baseball payroll survive now. Unless they start operating like the Tampa Bay Rays and you become a super college baseball program and you have a lot of roster churn, hoping that you have two or three year run stretches where you build a really strong roster. But after the, those two, three years, you got to you gotta start turning out. They're going to become free agents. They may be too good. They may be too expensive. You're not going to bring them back. Then you're going to have the question about fan loyalty. Fans don't know if they should buy a jersey or not because these guys may not be around for a long time. But that's the only way that your ball club can be competitive if you have an ownership that doesn't have the appetite to have more than $170 million in payroll. And that didn't used to be the case. I think like a couple years ago, we would say middle class is like 125, 130. We were hoping the White Sox could have a like yeah. $140, $150 million payroll. Oh my gosh, all the possibilities in the Sox machine offseason plan project. And here we are, that $180 million, and all we do is complain about how terribly they spent this money, and now they don't they don't have a lot of payroll, or they just don't have the appetite to go beyond the luxury tax. So they have really put themselves in a bind and they can't make the premium additions that the other competitors in major league baseball that have world series aspirations are making. And that's why there's a lot of doubt about the white Sox going to 2023 is that 
you spent all this money and you currently have like what an 83 84 win team it's uh pretty gross it's very gross it's uh yeah it's uh, <laughs> just uh, a good summation of that and just yeah when it comes to the whole We've talked about before Jerry Reinsdorf that he doesn't spend money to make money. You're watching in San Diego, I think, is probably the clearest example of that, like spending money to make money. And like, you know, with the Manny Machado signing, there weren't immediate gains when it came to, I guess, prestige or uh, staying power, postseason uh, run lengths. You know, they were still in the same boat as the White Sox early on when Machado signed. Same thing with like Bryce Harper and the Phillies. But they did get some upsell or upswing in, in season ticket sales and TV ratings and became like the talk of the town. I think the Chargers also leaving around the time left them the only game in town and well positioned to capitalize on that like sports mindshare in San Diego. But, you know, I, I think for them, spending begat spending. And so you have, uh, you know, Manny Machado giving way to like the Fernando Tatis extension and you have Blake Snell and you Darvish. And now you have uh, Trey Turner. Like you just have all these, uh, sorry, Xander Bogarts. Uh, you have all these additions just, you know, one after the other. And it just stokes excitement. And it just, you know, it gives fans a reason to keep coming back. Whereas with the White Sox, you know, there's, there, there are always these one year outlays and then it doesn't go well. And then they just retreat from it. You know, they they are, uh, they get scared of their own shadow and uh, there's just, there, there's no way to capitalize on the way the, uh, there's, or they don't capitalize on that initial interest that like the rebuild generated that the Grandal and Keiko contracts uh, generated at the time, they stop there. And so just, that's it. You know, it's the feeling like, you know, they didn't get year after year of season ticket sales boost. They got like a one year influx, maybe a two year influx. Hard to say with the uh, you know, pandemic in 2020, uh, cutting that short. But just, you know, they, they, there's always one big year and then uh, just uh, fear and apprehension. And, well, we're going to have to work uh, smarter, uh, yeah, not harder. And we're going to have to do more with less, which never works, uh, as I can tell you as a newspaper industry veteran. <laughs> so that's, that's uh, yeah, it's, it's a case where, you know, sports is entertainment and sports is entertainment like even the offseason. And right now the Padres and the Phillies and the Mets are entertaining the hell out of their fans, even though no games are being played. And the White Sox are just not, they don't do that. Uh, in fact, they're doing less now with Sox Fest being canceled. Uh, I didn't know their garage sale was online only mm -hmm. like, yeah. Are they that scared of their fans that they don't even want them in for a garage sale that raises money for White Sox charities? Like this is, uh, yeah, this is like, yeah, like I said, just gross. And, um, it's just sad. Uh, I, I think beyond that, just the, the lack of vision and the lack of kind of understanding of just like what it takes to generate excitement that sticks and this is something to be mindful of for the next two seasons because the white Sox payroll drops to 94 million dollars it committed two players and then after that it's like 25 million dollars so the white Sox have a lot of money coming off the books but if jerry reinsdorf's still the chairman do the white Sox have to pivot and change the way that they operate and the way that they handle as far as their roster because it's pretty clear now they don't have the appetite to spend with the spenders. So if you're not going to exceed the luxury tax, you're going to have to figure out another way to operate, to have sustained winning. And that is the key phrase, sustained winning, because that was what was promised to White Sox fans at the beginning of this rebuild.
But Jim and I will take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. But coming up next, we received a letter from one of our fans, and they are looking for a reason to hope about the White Sox. We'll share where we are looking for hope next on the Sox Machine Podcast. Like I mentioned in the intro, the holidays are quickly approaching, so it's time to start thinking about what you are going to gift your loved ones. And if you're looking for something to get even the hardest to shop for, look no further than a personalized coffee subscription from Trade Coffee. And Trade Coffee, if you don't know by now what Trade Coffee is, it is a coffee subscription service and it makes it so simple to discover new coffees and make your best cup of coffee at home every day. Trade partners with the nation's top rated independent roasters to send you coffee. They know you'll love and fresh to your home and on your preferred schedule. Whether you already know what you like or new to specialty coffees like me and need some help, Trade makes it easy and convenient to discover new coffees. And I really enjoy our coffee subscription and getting the little red bag from Trade and wondering what's inside. Which roaster sent me coffee this time and recently i just got one from a roaster in nashville that's right by jim's house and jim's like the coffee is not only great and it is great coffee but you should get the biscuits sometime when i'm in nashville and now it's got me going to the google Maps, saving their locations the next time i'm in nashville tennessee i can get a cup of coffee from that roaster and enjoy one of the breakfast biscuits that jim makes me insanely jealous of uh, on social media what's great about trade getting all of these different types of blends of coffee from roasters across the country is what makes it a perfect gift for loved ones. They make it easy with their digital gifting options for last minute shoppers like myself. And they also have coffee and equipment bundles for something under the tree. So for the coffee lover in your life or treat yourself with trade coffee, Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off a subscription and access to a limited-time holiday specials at drinktrade.com slash machine. That's drinktrade.com slash machine for $30 off. Again, that's drinktrade.com slash machine. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. As we mentioned before the break, we received a letter from one of our fans. This is from Bill, who lives in Arizona. And Bill wrote to us, The Sox Machine is one of the few bright spots in the White Sox world these days. If only the Sox ownership and management were as dedicated to winning as you are all dedicated to producing high-quality work on Sox Machine. 
Other than maybe right after the Manny Machado debacle, has there ever been a time when White Sox fans have been as angry as they are right now? Here are a few miscellaneous thoughts of personal frustration with the White Sox. Since I was a kid, I would have said the White Sox were my favorite team, and baseball was my favorite sport. The slog through the disaster of last year and the Sox ownership's response to it has shaken the foundation of my interest in the White Sox to the point that I now seriously question both of those ideas. One positive I hoped would come out of Jerry Reinsdorf forcing his buddy Tony La Russa on the White Sox was the hope that Reinsdorf would open the wallet and bring in the premium players to ensure that his buddy would win. But even La Russa didn't get Reinsdorf to bring in those players. If La Russa couldn't get Reinsdorf to play like one of the big boys and bring in the players to win, he never will. So what is the point of being a White Sox fan? In fact, is it possible that with Sox fans' overwhelming negative reaction to Reinsdorf's buddy LaRussa, Reinsdorf is more determined than ever to not spend on players in order to spite the fans? Other than the A's and Pirates, every other team in baseball has signed players to contracts larger than the largest contract the White Sox have ever signed a player to. Reinsdorf shows absolutely no inclination of changing that. Again, what is the point of being a White Sox fan? You at Sox Machine have well described how the comfort of Rick Hahn's position works against having an urgency to win. Not that Reinsdorf would allow him to do it any differently. In years past, when talking with friends who weren't baseball fans, who said baseball was boring, I was one of those who was defending baseball. But after trudging through this last frustrating, pointless season, I begin to question whether I wasn't the one who was wrong. I begun to question, if I'm honest with myself, don't I really enjoy watching the NBA and NFL more than baseball? I used to be one during the offseason who would count down the months to the start of spring training. When the White Sox signed Jose Abreu in the fall of 2013, I was like a kid counting down the days until Christmas. The current Bulls might be serving up their own degree of frustration, but their management is dedicated to doing what they can to try to win. This baseball offseason, I'm dreading the end of the Bulls season and being left with only Reinsdorf's White Sox. Reinsdorf might think he is clever, spending only enough to keep a carrot hanging in front of the fans. But that carrot has gone rotten. And that comes from Bill from Arizona. And Bill, thank you so much for your letter. And Jim, in the past week, many White Sox fans have voiced their displeasure, especially on social media and in the comments section of postsonsoxmachine.com. Bill is not alone to feel angry and irritated in how the White Sox are handling their business. And I don't blame all those that are voicing their frustrations, Jim. I don't either. I mean, it's, it's very well stated and fairly stated. Like you don't hear rage in that. You don't hear anger. You don't get the idea that like, you know, he's a, like a Chris Ranji caller from back in the day. Just, you know, as soon as something goes wrong, like, you know, Oh, get rid of this bum or get rid of this. You know, it's not somebody who watches sports or follows sports to get angry. This is somebody who wants to like the white Sox. That's, I think, you know, the, the trouble here is that, you know, you get a case where, yeah, the, you get some dissatisfaction with like not signing this player or signing this player, acquiring or, or re-signing Larry Garcia uh, to the contract he was signed to, um, you know, just the, the bullpen spending, like you can, you can quibble with the way the White Sox have spent money, you know, in, in previous winters and, and, you know, chalk it up dissatisfaction, but like, it's about decisions, it's about money, but it's not about like the core product, the core satisfaction of like, 
wanting the White Sox to succeed. But now I think like it's a point where, and, and this is where familiarity breeds contempt, and I think there's a lot of contempt right now, that just when Rick Hahn uh, has been, you know, this is now his 11th season uh, as GM. He's been in the organization for 20-something years. Like he can't even recall off the top of his head how long he's been assistant to Kenny Williams or working with the Kenny Williams-Rick uh, Hahn system. That just, it, it's, there's no sense that like, you know, he's displeased aside from like, you know, occasional like, you know, self-flagellation, but like, you know, it's a John Paxson situation where he has to fire himself. And why would he, you know, why would he fire himself? Why would Kenny Williams do anything differently? He said, he, you know, Kenny Williams says he's going to retire whenever his contract is up, but is he, or is his contract for 60 years? And so that'll be when he is going to retire just anyway. And it's something he can say, uh, just because the White Sox don't disclose any contract information for non-playing personnel, you know, the, the leadership elements, you know, above the, the coaching staff ranks, like the front office just being kind of a black box in terms of like who does what, what they do, whether anybody will ever suffer any consequences, whether anybody's actually unhappy with the way things are going uh, beyond, you know, or at least to a point where they're actually changed the way they conduct business, that it does, you know, cause that, that rot, that, that is more than just, you know, temporary dissatisfaction waiting for a year to be over so that spring can renew the hope and, and you know, bring some new faces in or, uh, you know, force uh, the team to make some decisions. Like the White Sox have proven by now that they're just incapable of, uh, you know, spending. They're also, you know, they're, they're slow to adapt. And by the time they catch up to something, it was probably like uh, three years ago that other teams started pivoting from the way things were done. Uh, so just you can't count them ever being like on top of the curve, much less ahead of it. So, you know, they're they're in between they're, they're They don't quite spend enough to or, or they spend enough to not be constrained like the Rays are to where they have to innovate to have a chance of competing with the with the bigger clubs. Uh, and they're also just secure enough in all their jobs to where they don't have to innovate because that might cause some jobs to be lost or some jobs to be worse than what they were. So that's, I think, the dissatisfaction, the unrest is so profound uh, this time around. Uh, they wasted two years with Tony La Russa. Like, everybody thought that wasn't going to work. It worked for one year. It worked well enough, and he wasn't the reason they lost in the uh, to Houston in the manner that they did. That was roster construction. But just last year was a waste, and last year was the culmination of everybody's fears, and that was an unforced error. And that just that's the kind of case where even if things are going well, the fact that the White Sox can screw up that badly and that first guessably, I think is just the, uh, that'll keep fans from ever feeling secure in their optimism. Uh, just when they know that at any point, Jerry Reinsdorf or Kenny Williams or Rick Hahn can just do something that nobody else in baseball understands. Uh, just for their own, you know, to, to solve their own personal uh, regrets or grudge or close a loop that nobody else cares about. And the fans are on their own. And I think that's where we are is the fans are on their own and, and all we have are each other. Yeah. A good example of that. So this upcoming Saturday, December 18th, uh, no, December 17th. I'm sorry. Getting my dates screwed up. So Saturday, December 17th at Maria's, it's a bar on 31st and Morgan. If you're in Chicago from 8 PM to midnight, I'm hosting a meetup there. Very informal, a chance to see everyone before the holidays because we don't have Socks Fest. And replacing Socks Fest, along with our friends from the 108, Jim and I are going to be part of hashtag 108 Day. And that's a live show that will be happening on Reggie's on January 7th. 
there's so much interest that show sold out in like two days and we're very excited to be there. And when it comes to the community of fans, as Jim mentioned, we are on our own because the White Sox don't have any interest in having Sox Fest. And I keep receiving emails from all the other Major League Baseball teams to either promote or if I want to buy tickets to their fan festivals, I think it's more along the lines of helping promote. Uh, these are very promotional emails, but it got me thinking, are the White Sox the only ones not having a fan convention or a fan fest before spring training? And people on Twitter mentioned that the Milwaukee Brewers are also not having a fan convention. And Brewers fans are pretty upset right now with that ball club. Uh, so the White Sox and the Brewers are back in the same boat again as they often times find each other and it's such a great point that you that you make Jim because it is something that I've been wondering about like how do you drum up excitement towards spring training for the White Sox or are you not going to bother even trying because right now you have a lot of season ticket reps for the White Sox making phone calls sending emails trying to get people to renew their ticket packages for this upcoming season, and they are getting shot down right now with those requests. Uh, some with with extreme prejudice, with extreme prejudice, like our friend Pinos put out on, on Twitter with his response of why he's not renewing his ticket package. So season ticket renewals and ticket packages are gonna be down, and they're already trying to sell you discounts on suites in the month of June and July. For series in June and July, like they're already looking at the midsummer. Uh, if, if those White Sox team is good, you were thinking that, well, the summer's coming by. They're going to have fewer of these deals because why would you have sales at a team that's playing well? No, the White Sox are already looking ahead and <laughs> trying to do sales for group outings in the middle of the summer. Like that's how bad it is right now. And the fact that the, the franchise themselves are not bothering to show any interest in having these types of activities or events to drum up interest and excitement going into the season. Like it may be a case of just like a bunch of zombies of fans just showing up on opening day after the White Sox visit the Houston Astros for the first four games of the season where it's really cold in April and nobody's really excited to be there. Like, hey, it's opening day. And then come by the third inning, it's like, oh my gosh, we have to watch this team for 81 more home games uh, and just be disgusted by that. So I'm really disappointed in how the White Sox are handling this. There's, there's better ways. And, you know, maybe somebody within this franchise has to face the music, not just continue to speak with beat reporters via Zoom or at the winter meetings and now the winter meetings are done. We may not even hear from Rick Hahn until spring training. Like theoretically, you may not talk to reporters until February, especially if the White Sox don't make any moves. The fact that nobody within the White Sox wants to face the music, they all want to hide because they don't, they know they were angry, but they don't want to hear it because they'll get their feelings hurt. It's just a bad way of operating business. And it's just this wedge that's driving in between your fans, your, your, your paying customers and the way that you operate business to the point that they have to seriously consider if it's time 
for to sell, especially for Jerry Reinsdorf. He turns 87 in February, Jim. Like, the clock is ticking. If you're not having fun with this, if this is not an enjoyment for you anymore, then let's truly make the 2023 season the last ride. And after the season, no matter what happens, it's time to move on. Yeah, I just don't see that being the likely outcome. I think Reinsdorf just likes being an owner, and what else is he going to do? Like, you know, if he can't smoke cigars with uh, people in baseball, uh, you know, there's not much else, you know, going for him. And, you know, I would probably feel the same way if I were 87 and, like, you know, still had my faculties about me and still, like, interacting with uh, important people in the game I love. Uh, and I assume that he loves the game. You know, might not love the White Sox or, like, you know, like just, or might not uh, love the game enough to understand, like, what it takes to, you know, win or uh, sustain uh, interest among his fans. But at least, like, I imagine that there is, like, part of him that just, like, enjoys being around it and enjoys being in decisions and saying, like, I don't like this guy. I don't think this guy can do this. I don't think this guy's worth that amount of money. Like, I imagine this guy to be pretty fun uh, to to have that available to you as, like, you own it, but you can also, like, step in and do as much as you want or as little as you want, depending on, you know, just how much you have uh, going for you. And, and when he's as insulated as he is from public sentiment, uh, then I suppose it doesn't really matter. So it's going to be a case where like um, you get into the point of like, man, what's his legacy going to be? Or like, how bad is it going to be? Cause you know, it's, it, there have been ebbs and flows with the Reinsdorf just, you know, what, yeah, if he had to sum up his, his uh, tenure as a chairman, like what would it be? And like, highs and lows and high like then you get to the point where after world series like oh he's kind of like a grandfatherly figure to where like he's super loyal to everybody and super sentimental and that was a little bit endearing but as much as it hamstrung the white Sox, is like slightly endearing and like kind of humanized him a little bit but now he's just gone kind of like full absentee landlord you know what do you think of jerry Ronson? i don't know he doesn't fix anything <laughs> like he's, uh, you know, my, my, uh, you know, there's been a, a drip through the ceiling for months and I can't get a hold of the guy. Uh, yeah, I'm looking to move out as soon as possible. Like that's kind of what it feels like. And so he's not really a person anymore. He's just, uh, somebody who prevents, uh, the white Sox from being as good as they could be. And that's kind of a, uh, it's a weird way to be. And I think, you know, most people would say like, I don't want to be that guy, but if you've been, you know, if you're as wealthy as he is and you've been, uh, in position of power as long as he is and you'd never hear otherwise because uh, his employees like working for him they're all secure uh, they're not going to uh, bite the hand that feeds him um, you know he has hand-picked reporters that he talks to just there's really no you know unless it gets to the point where like the stadium deal goes south because like the White Sox are just an afterthought to where like uh, nobody really wants to pay for a stadium for the White Sox to where like uh, you know, that maybe scares him a little bit or uh, shakes him to his core to where like, oh, I've changed the way I'm doing business to have people pay for my uh, ballpark. I think that's kind of like what it would take to get him to change the way he is. Either that or just random success, uh, you know, where the White Sox are as good as we thought they're going to be last year because just people are healthy and, uh, you know, everything kind of clicks. And then maybe, you know, things get back on track, but it takes that's leaving an awful lot to chance. It is. And again, a lot of these contracts come with the books next year. So if the White Sox do play well, looking at how much money everybody's making to free agency, the chances of them coming back is slim to none. It, it really is slim to none. Mm -hmm. And with Reinsdorf and his employees and being loyal to them, I got to imagine morale is really low right now on 35th and Shields. 
Yeah, I imagine it's like two tiers. Yeah, like rank and file, and you have like the, you know, uh, execs or, you know, the bosses or so forth. I imagine there's like, you know, the people in sales probably have to be tearing their hair out. <laughs> the ones who are, you know, working on commissions and such, they're not getting them like, uh, and have to hit some numbers. Like that's gotta be pretty rough. The people who just are, have been there for decades, you know, like, you know, what's their, you know, they probably have no incentive to rap on the door and say like, hey, things have to be different. So yeah, I imagine given that baseball doesn't pay well to begin with, just people find other jobs. I, I guess, but even for those executives, again, back to the, we, we are left to ourselves, to our own devices, to drum up our own excitement about this team with very little help to no help from the White Sox. Like we don't get additional access to the White Sox because we're hosting these meetups or having these types of events. They know that they exist and never get a thank you. Not even like a thank you, like, Hey, thanks for continuing to try to keep spirits high, but it's not so much that the spirits are high. It's just, it's being a White Sox fan is part of being people's DNA. And through the White Sox, we have gotten a chance to meet a lot of cool people in our lives, a lot of friends in our lives, and it builds that type of community. So it's now a community where we are all loving to hate the team that we root for. Like that's what it comes down to before the 2023 season. So for Bill's letter and for those that are voicing their displeasures on social media, especially, especially on Twitter and on Facebook and in the comments at Sox machine, like I know where you're coming from. And a lot of times I definitely feel that way as a fan as someone, you know, with Sox Machine, with us producing content every single day covering this White Sox team, it doesn't make our lives any easier with the way that they are operating. And yeah, there are some concerns going to 2024. Like, is this team going to even bother trying? Like, why should we do all these things uh, to expand our coverage? If the team's not going to put in much effort, we will because we love making content and we love that you guys come and visit us all the time. So don't worry about that. But it, it, they are, these are thoughts that come across my mind when it comes to even covering the White Sox <laughs> in that facet. So that's the bad. And there's a lot of bad. <laughs> So let's try to end this show in a positive note, Jim. Where can White Sox fans find hope? What can, what, what could give them a reason to believe in 2023? Well, you know, part of the reason why, like, I don't get burned out or like my frustration level is less than other people is because like, because of this platform that we have and because, you know, I write pretty much every day and we talk twice a week and we put our thoughts on record. Like I'm invested in like being correct or being like onto something, you know, seeing some things like, you know, putting my, my thoughts on paper or on a page and then like seeing how they stack up after a certain amount of time or like, you know, uh, just weighing my thoughts and like kind of rooting for myself. So even if I don't like a move, it's like, well, if it doesn't work out, at least I was correct about it. And I think, you know, you know, Part of me says, like, if you can do that, if you can, like, look at the game in terms of just, like, trying to understand it better, trying to understand, you know, the way the White Sox do things, the way the White Sox do things wrong, there, there is satisfaction in, like, first guessing correctly, even if the result is terrible. Not just, like, saying, like, oh, this move's going to suck. It's not going to work out. But, like, if you nail it for a why, if you say, like, you know, if, if you get close to the numbers, like, I got uh, I got a little bit of a charge when I think I was, like, two points off from guessing Josh Harrison's uh 2022 OPS. Like I saw, I was like, Oh man, I was right on. Like, like that, that's kind of, uh, you know, what, uh, what gets me pumped up these days. 
Which is, I guess, is pretty sad. But like, you know, that's one reason why, like, uh, uh, you know, it's nice to have these, um, you know, these meetups, these, uh, you know, podcasts, these get-togethers. Uh, you know, other people starting their own podcasts just to get thoughts on paper, on audio, on record, to compare them later and see how we did. And so that gives you like some. It's like betting, uh, except it won't, you know, you, you don't feel like financially ruined if you swing and miss just like, oh, I was wrong. But then you figure out like why you were wrong and you try just for next time. And that's kind of where I get my enjoyment from the White Sox these days is trying to be correct about uh, my thoughts about them when I put them down, or at least as correct as I can be. And if I'm wrong, I hope to be pleasantly surprised. Um, so there's that. I think the, you know, when it comes to, you know, beyond, uh, I guess how I enjoy the game and where I get like satisfaction from and hope like it is, you know, I think people should be open-minded for Pedro Grafal. Like it's a, it's a funny thing about this off season is that like the White Sox did, you know, by and large, they did the managerial hiring process, right? They did the one we wanted them to do all along, like the past four cycles, like they, yeah, they had a list of their names. They interviewed eight people. They interviewed multiple people multiple times. Uh, it's a mostly new coaching staff, uh, and, and you know some some intriguing new names and in, in from from outside the organization. Some with you know very good track records, and uh, like that's all great. But then they stop spending. So it's like you can't you, you can't have both. You can't have like a a competent uh, search for a manager and a proactive front office that solves problems on the roster. Like it's one or the other, you know, what you consider a spending spree for the White Sox, but with a uh, um, you know, leadership structure that they did not search for, uh, and, or, or you can have uh, you know, a leadership structure that is giving a roster that might be taking on water. Uh, it, it, you can't have both. But I, I think there's reason to be open-minded about him and to you know, wish him well. You know, beyond the fact that like, you know, he seems like a decent guy, he's just doing well, like everything with him and with the way he's going about his business is what you want to hear, what you want to see. Uh, you know, they, they've added uh, Jeff Head to the strength and conditioning uh, program. And, you know, he had an interesting track record before last year with the Reds, which was a disaster and why they let him go. But uh, they are trying new things at those levels. And I'm interested to see how it works out. Like I'm interested in seeing like what this Mike Tosar role is like kind of like a baseball handyman. Like I'm going to, just going to address what needs addressing. Uh, that seems to be his job. Like he might be a hitting coach. Sometimes might be, uh, you know, kind of a defensive coach or a positioning coach. Like I'm interested to see what he does. Like, the, you know, I'm interested to see how, uh, you know, Mike Clevenger does because that's one area where the white Sox have added. Well, is back end uh, starters, back end starters who become, number two, number three, number one guys at times. And, uh, you know, so there are, you know, little reasons for optimism among this like huge cloud, but I think, you know, number one is just like, okay, they, they finally hired a manager the right way. And, you know, because, you know, Griffal never could count on getting a job because he never played the majors and because he can't count on getting another job because, you know, just, you know, sometimes you know, managers only get one crack at it. Like, he seems like somebody who's going to try his hardest and like, you know, not leave any stone unturned. And, you know, I'm curious to see how it goes and I'm open-minded and open-hearted about it because that's the one area where I think you can pretty much say the White Sox did the best they could. And, you know, might not be the sexiest name, but there are reasons for it. And, uh, you know, sometimes the, the best name, uh, or, or like, you know, I should say like the least impressive name, uh, like Brian Snitker is one in Atlanta. Like, just a lifer, never played in the majors, I don't think. Um, just, you know, 
grinded for decades before he got his chance, almost lost his job uh, because the Braves were, you know, struggled early on. And now look at him. Like he's, he's as secure as can be. So I think with Griffal, he's my number one, uh, or just the coaching staff in general, my number one reason why I have hope because finally uh, they, they've done the overhaul that we hope they would. <laughs> I forgot who meant, who said this. Maybe it was Joe Sheehan that the White Sox have hired Rick Renteria again in Pedro Grafal. And maybe that is kind of the hope because say what you want about Rick Renteria, but the 2019 and 2020 White Sox were a lot of fun to watch under Rick Renteria because they did put in tremendous amount of effort. Ricky's boys don't quit. And maybe under Pedro Grafal and under a vast change in coaching staff with new faces and new voices, except for the pitching coaches, but the pitching coaches were not the problem last year. And maybe there is a reason for continuity, especially with the pitchers that you currently have on the roster to keep Ethan Katz and keep that going. But for everything else, excluding Daryl Boston, we don't know why he's still here, but everything else though, if they could get back to the swag and playing at a high energy that we have not seen the last couple of years under Tony La Russa, maybe they will be more fun to watch. And I think if you're looking for hope as a White Sox fan, ignore everything that comes out of Rick Hahn's mouth, <laughs> mm-hmm. everything that comes from the White Sox front office, period. And just focus on the coaching staff and the players because there is still some talented players here. We've never seen them hit as far as their ceiling or meet expectations or be in the lineup at the same time, be in the lineup at the same time. But what if, what if they can be in the lineup the same time for more than a hundred games? What if, because Tim Anderson's seen all these shortstops get paid money, he evolves and takes a step forward in his progression. And not only does he hit 300, but he also hits 20 home runs and he becomes a five war type of shortstop. There's reason to hope within the roster. I would just scale it to there's hope the White Sox could win the American League Central and be back in the postseason in 2023. If you're asking me to blow smoke up your butt and they could still win the World Series, uh, I don't know. <laughs> like the Houston Astros are still there. Seattle's going to be really good. The Yankees are going to be really good. But I think right now my expectations are and my hope is win the American League Central and get back to the postseason. If you could do that, I will be satisfied. Like my personal goals for this team and expectations are down from where they were in 2023, 22, rightfully so. And I'm just hoping that under Grafal, we could see the same enthusiasm we saw under Rick Renteria, better decision-making, but better play. And the players themselves are on the field a lot longer than we've seen the last two years. The emphasis on energy, I I find fascinating because... It's a nice way of saying, like, you weren't trying. Like, you weren't, <laughs> it's kind of the way that, you know, just, uh, you know, whether it's because they were trying to protect injuries or just because there was just like a team-wide ennui that set in uh, that just dragged everybody down. That's kind of the, the heart of the matter is, like, you weren't trying as hard as you could have. And that should be a pretty uh, damning thing to say. Uh, it's a nice way to say it, but it's, you know, damning nevertheless. So you would hope that there would be some, uh, 
some restoration of pride, uh, you know, the, the pride passion tradition, uh, you know, uh, slow going back to that. Yeah. Again. Well, just like in, in my header, in my Twitter header, does I put a question mark after every single one, like pride, passion, tradition, like <laughs> what are these, uh, you know, foreign concepts, please explain. Uh, you, you kind of have to get back to that. It's just, you know, the idea of not even maximum effort, not, not, uh, eyewash, not just, you know, um, uh, hustle for the sake of hustle, but just, you know, we've seen it. We've seen the, you know, what the difference is and just, uh, the, the life and the you know, running to first base, like you don't have to run hard every time, but just, yeah, just when they weren't and, and, you know, the, the double plays that happened because they didn't run hard or the, you know, the, the infield hits that weren't because they didn't count on a player bobbling a ball. Like that's the, you know, it happened enough and the dumb base running happened enough to where, uh, you know, it's either going to be a case where like it really is the players and the, and the roster just needs another overhaul for the second time in uh, seven years where just the, the roster somehow rotted through again, or you're going to have like a complete dismantling or, or destruction of what Tony La Russa did. And I'm kind of looking forward to that. Like that's a very real possibility is like we could just see just how poorly they did things just by having a Pedro Grafal type in there. And we saw that briefly when Miguel Cairo was there, like when he had took over after uh, LaRusa stepped down unofficially at that time, but just, we saw that brief burst of competence and effort and some stirring comebacks and strength. of schedule had a little bit to do with it, but you know, strength, of schedule had been their friend for months at that point. And they hadn't taken advantage of it, but we saw that burst of, Oh, um, here's a manager who's actually like holding us accountable a little bit, or like, you know, saying that, you know, like Larry Garcia is not playing anymore. That's different. Like there were enough changes. I think that were made initially to where there was that brief burst before they, they got uh, brought back down by everything that had been f their flaws for the first five months of the season, but having a full off season with a manager who's that invested, uh, and, and that intent on proving himself and, and has probably some ground to make players prove themselves. Like if it was a first time manager taking over, uh, taking over for Tony La Russa after a team won 95 games. And he's like, we got to try harder. I can imagine them just rolling their eyes and dismissive hand motions and saying like, you know, we're not gonna listen to this guy uh, who, you know, who the hell is he? But he probably has enough buy-in from veterans who hated the thing, way things went last year to where like, Within months, you might see a difference of like I'm thinking like Robin Ventura and Tony Larue, uh, and Azeguian before like Ventura had to manage you know Ventura's skills manager was exposed in September, but for the first like half of the season, we watched uh, you know just the improvement the White Sox had just by having a manager who cared, and uh, if the White Sox look lively again, you know through May, you could hear a whole lot about just like how things were done. Because that really was the problem. Right now, I think there's enough doubt. Like, Yasmani could be old. Uh, Lance Lynn could be old. Lucas Giolito might have peaked early, and he just might be kind of an innings eater at this point. Like, there are enough flaws in this roster to where, like, it just might be the players. But if it isn't, uh, you could hear some stuff. And I'm looking forward to hearing that stuff. You do, we do love that stuff. We do love to hear the drama. Especially, like, 2016. Uh, yeah. That still leaks out from time to time. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's fun to hear the drama when it's ex post facto. Yeah. When it's in the rearview mirror, when it's no longer active, when you're talking about, like, what went wrong and what's not going wrong now. Like, that's the best way to hear it. Yeah, not during. <laughs> yes. Well, during's fine. 
it's uh, like during is also satisfying because at least you get some page views out of it. Uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you get some listens out of it. You get some you know interest that you know, yeah from teams who normally don't care about the White Sox. Like Larose was great for us at Southside Sox when that happened. <laughs> as uh, pathetic as it was, like hey, we benefited from that. But like when it's on when it's drama uh, and it reflects things that haven't changed and aren't going to change for a while. That's when it's depressing and, and serves nobody. Yes. So there you go. Some reasons to hope for the White Sox. And there's still a couple months left to go in the offseason. We'll see on who they add. The, the resources are incredibly limited. Unless they're really thinking about trading Liam Hendricks, they don't have a lot of great trade assets that other teams want. As you have already could tell, there's not a lot of trades right now that are going on in Major League Baseball. Maybe that will change. Maybe it won't. Brian Reynolds wants a trade, but the Pirates asking price is so high that nobody wants to meet it right now. So Brian Reynolds might be starting 2023 with the Pirates and we'll see if things change before the trade deadline. The Oakland Athletics are asking for a lot, as they should, for Sean Murphy. So after that, it's just the, the pickings are slim right now in Major League Baseball when it comes to trade targets. So the whole, the trade market will be more fruitful than free agency. Uh, I I don't think Rick Hahn is going to be right about that one, unless he really surprises us in moving someone that we were not expecting him to move uh, to try to bolster this roster for the 2023 season. But at least we got the players spring training, just a couple months away. And then uh, we got the world baseball classic. That'll be a nice distraction. Uh, going into opening day where the Chicago White Sox head to Houston. So we just got a couple more months of being angry at the White Sox front office and being angry at the White Sox organization when we can shift focus, Jim, and just focus on the players. And I am looking forward to that. And we have new rules too. I mean, we should say that we have new rules. We have uh, the shift. We have pitch clock. We have, uh, that'll be fun. And that then the, the, I don't know if it's going to change the game uh, dramatically, you know, transform it in any way, but it's going to change the way some people conduct their business for better or for worse. And that's going to be fun to watch too. So there are things to watch. <laughs> it's and, and you just have to find the right people to watch it with. Yes. And hopefully you consider us some of those people you enjoy talking, listening, reading and watching games together. That will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. You can follow us on Twitter, as long as that lasts, at Sox Machine. And you can follow me on Twitter, at Sox Machine underscore Josh. Another thing, too, if you do watch videos on YouTube, where we have more than 800 subscribers to the YouTube channel, and we get more features that open up, when we hit a thousand subscribers. So if you could do us a favor, if you have a YouTube account, subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash socks machine. We had a socks machine live episode last week. We'll continue doing that during the off season. So there'll be more content coming to the YouTube channel as we enter in our 10th season podcasting together after January 1st. So make sure if you haven't already subscribe to your, to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash socks machine. If you enjoy our work and you want more, you can help support us as well on patreon.com slash Machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. And with the new Socks Machine store that will be launching, uh, they also are the first ones to receive the Socks Machine swag with pre-sale codes and early access to items. 
Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash SoxMachine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.